Hi everyone, welcome to today's podcast. I'm the host Jonathan Morris from All Things in the Middle and I'm joined here with friends of mine. First to introduce myself again is Pat. Yeah, hi, my name is Pat. I'm a retired former civil servant. I live on my own, so the coronavirus uh, lockdown is happening. And uh, yeah, not easy for me. Hi, I'm Damien. I'm from Liverpool in England. I work in community development and more specifically in mental health. Hello, I'm Alan. I work in the community centre and with a focus on addiction, currently working from home as well. Hi, I'm Joshua. I'm currently not working from home and I'm enjoying the great time and the chance to better myself in this pandemic. So Damien, I suppose we could jump straight to you and just talk about the UK's plan of action or lack thereof. Um, I know the you know the keyword that's coming from all the discussion on the news and through commentaries and probably from yourself and other people in the UK is that there's no clarity. It's just confusion. It, well, certainly when I tuned in to watch his speech at seven o'clock on Sunday, I sat there for 15 minutes and kept thinking, am I missing something? I'm confused. I don't kind of know what this is about anymore. You know, previously I did, I knew that the message was stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives. I knew those three explicit messages within, within the strategy, and now I don't. I think it's something about being alert. I shouldn't be like that. I should know that implicitly and be able to, to name it. Um, and I'm fairly well-read around the, the pandemic, but on this I'm not. When I heard this stay alerting, I was just bamboozled. I thought that it's like if you have, you know, like German spies are roaming the streets, stay alert, they could be around. You know, it's type of a really war, World War II attitude, I thought. I, I think it's, again, it's just drawing back to, it must be his fascination with Churchill and just trying to emulate him or something. Like, that's how it, that's how it reads to me as an outsider. It will definitely. I mean, and the chief medical advisors, if, um, reports that I've read, did not know that they were the slogans coming all out of government's mouth. So therefore, are we being run by um, a corporate branding agency, which designs and develops slogans and not by science? And I, I, I know that that's kind of a sticking point for a lot of people in the UK. You know, on one hand, the government keeps saying, well, this is scientific advice. We're following the scientists, what they tell us to do. But at the same time, I hear that they're listening to the scientists, but then taking a very political approach to they're easing up the lockdowns or, you know, implementing the lockdown at the start. And that's the reason why, for example, like testing ended on the 12th of March and why the restrictions were late coming into place. And now why we are with this stay alert slogan, like you said, it sounds like something from an ad agency. Is it just yeah. overly political? Definitely. The, the other over, overarching message I kind of get from this strategy is that the government, to a, a, to a degree, washing their hands of the responsibility in my mind, government should be there to keep its citizens safe. In this vein, what they are doing is they are putting the emphasis back to the public for them to be uh, vigilant. Now, you can only do that if you've got all the right the, the resources. So you, you need PPE. You should be able to be tested regularly. There, there's huge doubts around the level of testing what's going on. They say they send down so many tests, they send, they say they, they send out like 10,000 tests, but they're not the ones which are coming back to them. You know, they're just sending them out. Well, people might not be able to, to do those tests at home, and they might not be being returned. You know, there, is, there are problems in the testing strategy. They're having to send so many over to the United States of America to be um, tested. 
there are problems within the, the whole approach. And Pat, as someone who was in the civil service for a long time, you're probably used to clarity that the civil service offers you because, you know, they are apolitical, you know, by practice and tradition. You know, if you look at the news coming out of the UK in the last couple of days, do you think it is overly politicised? Yeah, I do think it's not very clear. Um, I mean, the business are going back to work and then employers need to know what is their responsibility in terms of bringing people back to work. What do they have to need, need to have in place first instead of just saying, okay, people can come back to work. And then there's the whole thing around uh, childcare, creches, all those things. Uh, people, you know, is there going to be facilities for people to get back to work? Don't use public transport, but, you know, for a huge number of people, especially in major cities, public transport is the only way, especially if you're lower paid, you're going to be further out, you're going to be in the suburbs, you're going to be traveling in on train, tube or whatever. How can you possibly, um, you know, manage to get to work in those circumstances? So there is a lot of, yeah, more clarity needed. I know from experience though, I mean, the, the civil service in any country, you know, it, it's slow and it's cumbersome to some extent and very hard to, to, to get, you know, things out. Like this 50-page document, which I haven't seen, I don't know if you've seen it, Damien, but the 50-page document, um, how, has that made things much clearer? Because the argument was that, you know, the Prime Minister in a 10-minute speech couldn't give the clarity required, but it would follow in the document. But that doesn't seem to be the case. I mean, it, 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 it makes a very dry reading. I also think the other point which does not help is the divergence between Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland because they're all on different messaging. So those three countries have a different message to, to Britain. I was going to say the United Kingdom, but it's no, it is a United Kingdom, but it's clearly not a United Kingdom. And again, Boris Johnson was talking about the English government. He wasn't talking about the United Kingdom in its entirety when he released that. So it's, it's just so confusing. Does it, not, does it not make sense that, like, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, um, they don't have, you know, the, the population, you know, uh, depth of population that they have in England. So therefore the rules could be somewhat different in those places, simply because they don't have the population density that, that um, maybe England has, certainly around big cities. But, but surely then that would call for tighter rules that rather than what Johnson has approached. You know, Scotland are still maintaining the stay-at-home policy. You know, Nicola Sturgeon came out straight away after Boris Johnson spoke on Sunday and said, no, Scotland will remain on the same path they've been on, where they maintain stay-at-home, stay-safe attitude. If I think somebody said one day, what happens if someone from England marches up to the Scottish border? Can they not cross it? Are they restricted? What restrictions then come in place for that person? So it is that, like, it doesn't offer clarity. It doesn't offer any sort of assurance to businesses who, I, I believe, Damien, is, is it that businesses go back to work this week, next week? Well, some were, were starting on Wednesday. We're invited to, to go back to work on Wednesday. Again, it's very unsafe. It's very unclear as to what those responsibilities, you know, in England, you can drive anywhere to exercise, but then they've also had to kind of politely remind people that you shouldn't drive over the border, as you say, to Scotland or drive over to Wales. We live about 13 miles from the Welsh border, you know, so could I not take a day out there? Well, you, you can do then, because on one hand, the British government is saying, you know, drive anywhere in your car, but then the Welsh government is saying, please don't drive to us. You know, the Lake District again, you know, last week the police were saying, please do not come here. And if you do, we will, we will send you back. Now they are worried that they're going to be inundated with people who are coming along because the British government is saying, you can go anywhere 
it's confusing. That level of confusion will kill, it will end lives. And again, just to go international, something similar is happening in the US where, you know, it gives you an idea of how bad things could be. You know, the US has 50 states as opposed to the UK having four nations, as they say. And they have different rules. The exact same problems are occurring over there. And you can see it is an issue to do with, I just think, central leadership. You know, Donald Trump and Boris Johnson, you know, they're very similar in, in so many ways that they offer that, you know, the bombastic attitude and the, the bravado approach to everything where, you know, on Boris Johnson's side, he looks and sounds smart, but, re- but really, you know, is he, you know, he's probably good for a campaign and getting the crowd roused, but is he somebody you want in a crisis? And it appears not so. He got Brexit over the line, but eventually it was going to go over the line with or without him. The thing is, he just made it look more... Uh, more showy you know he just added a bit more flair to it all you know with his language and his attitude and his campaigns and his some say his lack of facts or his lies Um, I think Trump is often the same and yet you look at these two countries and they are the worst hit countries on earth so I wonder you know all the populist nations all the populist leaders which have everything really simple and don't deal with any type of level of complexity yeah and, and that's because that they're not just used to this micromanagement, they're not used to this type of detail, they're just used to the big slogans, trying to rouse people around one idea, one simplistic idea, like immigration or whatever it might be. Alan, what's your take on what's developed the last while? I know last week you spoke a bit about Northern Ireland, yourself and Pat. Um, have you seen anything coming from the North? I know they were to release a five-phase plan as well, which I just haven't seen. Yeah, I know they did today. Um, and I think there's five, um, I think it's quite similar to the uh, plan that we've had in the, uh, in the South, but they have another big difference is they haven't put any dates on it. And the reason they haven't put any dates on anything, uh, I understand is because they don't want to raise expectations. They don't want to disappoint people if they can't make it. So, uh, and they have said that they have, there's, they're in close cooperation with the South and, and also with the other UK, uh, parts of the UK. So, I don't know, it, I, I haven't seen the details of it, but if it's similar to ours, then obviously it's a, it's a, it's a slower process than that's going on in the UK. But I do think what's going on in the UK is at the moment, it's just like, it's political, politically driven. I also think probably within his cabinet, Boris Johnson has, I mean, like every government has massive pressure uh, to come back, to bring the economy back into uh, working order again, to get things moving again. I get that, I understand that. But at the same time, you can't say things like that and tell people to go back. And then Dominic Rabb coming out and saying something different, the same minister in his own cabinet saying something different the same day. As the as the prime minister did, and about going back and and use of masks and use of transport, so there's confusion within the cabinet, which is a critical like within that small group of people is confusion. So you'd have to say I don't know what's going on within the cabinet, but to me it seems like political, and I think they're also trying to maybe just balance up the economic side of it to get things back moving again. Which to me, Boris Johnson is moving more towards, even though he says. It's about the d- disease and it's about managing that and they'll, they'll put down the, the strict rules again if it doesn't work. But to me, it seems like he's going for the economic side of it and he's loosening things up. And I, I agree with Damien completely. I think he's completely put it right back on the people. And if it does come back again, if there's a resurgence in the, in the virus, he can always say, well, we told you, we told you we'd have to shut it down again if it doesn't work and he gets off the hook and it's back on the people. So I think it's, I think it's really unfair what's happened. And so I, I think it's mostly, mostly political. I think there's a huge pressure uh, economically and I think that's probably driven a lot of Boris Johnson's um, decisions. And yeah, you can see the economic side is that 
Boris ran on getting the economy working throughout Brexit and then the pandemic came along and that has really tore down his central point of his whole government. The idea was finance, 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 economy, economy, economy. And same again with Trump. Two, two, two uh, you know, Trump is running for re-election this year. He, he ran on a good economy, a strong economy, and now the United States is, is in, a, in excess of 30 million people unemployed. Um, it's you know the worst unemployment numbers since the Great Depression, I think, or even worse now at this point. And expected to carry on and even deepen in the next couple of weeks if things don't reopen. Can understand from their side why they want to do that. They feel that they will not garner the support of the country or of their own party if they don't get the economy back up and running. They will simply just be voted out, excluding the pandemic. If the economy goes down because of it, it's just a reason to get rid of them. So I can understand from a political point why they'll rush to get it back up and running, but I just think it's very short-sightedness. The effect that it could have by rushing people out together and adhered could lead to you know greater numbers to an, a, a prolonged lockdown. I just think the stock market will even drop even further or the economy might show for even a long period of time if it all does it too fast. He's not offering any clarity to anybody. I know if I was a business in the UK, I'd be quite worried. I'd be worried about liability, because it's kind of like, well, it's up to you, you know, it's up to the citizens. Then, like, uh, as an employer, am I liable then if they get sick at work? Of course, good for the UK, they have the NHS, and you know, same with in Ireland, we have the we have a public system, but it still makes you, you know, worry about liability. You know, who covers who here? Who's responsible for what? And it does seem like in Ireland we've produced a plan where, like we spoke about on the last podcast, where companies can be closed if they don't abide by the new rules set out in terms of having you know, the proper facilities in place, the two-meter social distancing in the workplace, uh, the hand sanitizers, you know, keeping the place clean, all of that. In the UK, I don't know, does that, does that rule apply? Do, are employers obliged to provide this type of safe environment? Because, you know, under the, any basic work, labor laws, you have to provide a safe environment for employees. <laughs> Yeah, d- definitely, definitely. There are levels of instructions and policy in relation to, to employers and what the responsibilities are for employers and employees. Again, devil is in the detail. You have to sift through the documents to go through that. My own organisation, we're starting to look at re- recovery plans. So we're framing this all in the language of recovery plans of how we get... Um, places back up, how we get levels of support back up, whether that's for vulnerable people or for for school pupils or whether it's be for uh, substance users or, or people who use mental health services. It's all about recovery. So there's lots of kind of discussions going on uh, to do that in the safest ways for organisations and for services. Is there a possibility that um, if a person gets the virus in their place of work because of lack of PPE or whatever, that they can take legal action against yeah. employment, employer. Uh, let's say they go home, pass it on to a family member who dies. It's difficult to prove that somebody you know, contracted the, the virus in a particular place. But if a cluster, like here we've had clusters in our meat processing uh, units. So therefore... The likelihood then is that people who work there picked it up there. So can they take action against legal action? Well, I, you know, I think that this is part of the, the government's concern because, you know, if you look at, there was um, a consultant who wrote to Boris Johnson in March who was concerned about working on wards in a very unsafe way because there was no PPE. Now, sadly, this consultant died of coronavirus. And it was a, he was one of the first to die after raising that politically. 
and the letter had come out that he'd written to the government, he'd alerted the hospital that he was concerned, I guess that's for lawyers to look at. And I think the government are worried about level of cases because they are concerned about people who work in, in units or wards where there's a high viral load of COVID-19, about how that can impact then upon people. And if they haven't got the right protective equipment, then will the government be liable, potentially? I just said, uh, I did read somewhere that the government had a plan in place to, to compensate, obviously, families of NHS workers who've died. Yeah, they were quick to say that they were paying £60,000 uh, to anyone who died who was in the NHS on the front line. So they've done that very quickly. Very tragic case today of a woman who's just died and she works on the railways. And just before her death, somebody spat at her and that. said they had COVID-19. And then several days later, she contracted the virus and she's dead. She'd also asked for PPE in Victoria Station, I think she worked, or one of the main London yeah, stations. Again, she, she died, you know, but already those questions have been raised that she's asked for PPE. They, her employers said she didn't need it. She was then spat at, contracts the virus. I'm not saying it was done through the person who spat at her, but he did say he had the virus. So there's, there's question marks over that case. You know, if I had a parent who was in a care home, you know, because they're, they're still doing nothing about care homes, or they're not doing enough, I should say, they're not doing enough about people in care homes. And my parent was ill, and there are reports that where elderly people have been taken out, brought to the hospital, and the hospital have sent them back, knowing that they had COVID-19, but put them back into the care home without letting the care home know. So there are questions, which I'm, sh I'm sure... I think the government are really afraid of in terms of public inquiries. They know that a public inquiry will come and people are trying to say, now is not the time to ask those questions, but I'm sure they will come those questions because of lack of PPE, the whole farce around testing. Yeah, I, I, I was reading today in Ireland that they're expecting a huge increase in labour uh, relations disputes in the next couple of months probably mm. like up like upwards of 50 percent just to do with the fact that like we're talking about here that people have to travel to work and then if my boss says to me you've come to work and i say well i use public transport am i obliged to go to work they're talking about there is no mechanism in place at the moment to you know assist me in that there's also a lot of underlying issues that aren't linked to that aren't uh, noted as a disability which might affect people going to work one example could be obviously a pregnancy. Someone who's pregnant, are they obliged to attend work or not? They might fall under any vulnerable people category, but still, is there any law there to support them? They do think there could be a rise in disputes, a rise in redundancies, and a rise in like uh, verbal or written warnings from employers uh, to employees who probably refuse because they feel uncomfortable or just unsafe going to work. Um, I do think that's something that Ireland, especially, or maybe it's in a country like the UK, is probably quite vital now, considering the lack of clarity that's been offered by Johnson. But in Ireland, we do need it, and it is a discussion being had at the moment. I don't know if anything can come from it that quickly. Our employee, our employer is under legal obligation. Like, I'm not too up-to-date on it at the moment, but if I ask for protective gear, am I entitled to it? Or can your employer say, listen, if you want to wear it, we're not going to stop you, but... Does that, would that interfere with, let's say, a dress code? If you want, if you feel safer wearing a mask, do they have to now reevaluate dress codes? They have a duty of care to you. 
they have a duty of care. So if you put, present an argument that you need PPE, they would have to risk assess it and it will probably come down in the risk assessment. So you might risk assess it, they might risk assess it, they, theirs might come out differently. If you can provide an argument as to why you should have it, then you've got a, a dispute on your hands. But will your employer be able to uh, access PPE for you, depending on the level yeah. of PPE required? Yeah, it's quite because, generally available. You know, yeah, is it generally available or is it all no, sold out? No, it's not really. It's not, and it won't. It won't be really. Flo- I mean, at the moment, they're mainly. It, it is available. Like we got it in our service, but then we are, we are kind of frontline. Although we're not a hospital now, but even then, we only got small amounts because they're saying they're they're still very tight with what they're giving out. Now we got enough, but we're not. We're actually not using it. It's just in case we need to use it. But I think uh, in in agencies or places like ours, or maybe even I know Josh, who goes back, will be doing work work with customers. And so whether you're supposed to wear masks and all that sort of stuff, I think what they're saying at the moment is not to be using anything that's um, the level, the grade, the high grade uh, masks and equipment that they need for hospitals. And they're asking people to source their own that is not that. So in other words, just trying to find your own or get your own masks or buy it from the shops or something like that. So they want to keep the high grade stuff for the hospitals. No, I, I agree with, with that. But like for me, it would be odd, let's say, because I do, I work in a store as well. So like if someone walks into a, into a shop and sees people wearing masks and they're not wearing masks, maybe they might not want to be in the shop. Mm. If you know what I mean. And if I'm wearing a blue mask and I have to dress business, it takes, like, and I know that's a very small thing, but you also have to represent your company. How would you feel personally, Josh, if you were asked to go back to work in the morning? What would you want to see in place? Um, well, I actually did. Strangely enough, I got an email from my company. They send us out emails every week or two just with updates. And I know they, tomorrow is the day that they open up their restaurant. And um, it's only for takeout, but it's a big step for them. I got a few emails, emails even from my gym. My gym will be open now from the 10th of August. So I got a few things, which is kind of nice to see. But for me... I think hand sanitizer, possibly gloves. Like, I necessarily, if I'm going to get it, to be honest, I think I'm just going to get it. I know that's a very lapsy daisy way of thinking, but I will work where people are constantly, I'll be handling money all the time. I'll be touching things people have touched. I'll be getting public transport. There's going to come a time where I forget to wash my hands or I forget to sanitize something. Like, it's, it's human nature. I would try my best not to do that, but... I think maybe a mask is well, all well and good, but if you guys have worn the mask, you know you get sweaty, you get sore, you get irritated. And that's why I sympathize with healthcare workers because they're wearing them all day. But I, I don't know. I think hand sanitizer and possibly gloves, and I would be happy for happy to go back to work. And just maybe possibly if it does mean having to close the shop for an hour every day to give it a good clean. Um, like I don't know. Like It's weird because... I don't know how it's going to work. Like even now, I was even thinking. I was chatting with my sister today. Even like to like when you go clothes shopping, are you going to still try on clothes now? Yeah, yeah probably take you... them home, and then if they don't suit, bring them back. But you want to wash them before you put them on. But you know, the tags are coming off. If you know what I mean. Well, like no, it does have a big kind of knock-on effect, and it's weird because I know restaurants and food shops and all they're still up and running and so on. But I think for the non-essential things it will have a bigger knock-on effect something that I feel because you're going to second-guess buying things. Like you won't second-guess buying milk or bread or pasta or whatever because you need it. But going and getting like the top and then you're going to think like the, the, the coronavirus, if, if that makes sense. 
because you're always going to think who touched it before me or who wore it before me. And then it's just something like when I go back to work now, I'm going to be like, every single day you're going to go in, you're going to be like, how many people have touched this that I have to touch now? I mean, like, I mean that's, I'd say that's within the shop that you'll have to come up with some arrangements around that. Maybe what you do is you just have a rail or something over them that says like no touching from this and you have mm -hmm. one item that people could touch if they want to touch it. Now that's a risk mm -hmm. they take. And then the rest of them nobody touches unless they're buying it or something like something like that. You know, I'm sure they'll have to think through all of this and it'll be very artificial and you're right. And then it'll, it doesn't make shopping a more joyful experience and it makes mm -hmm. it just... Yeah, more stressful experience and not a nice experience. So that will affect sales in itself. Yeah, McDonald's is opening now as well, and their limit yeah. is thirty euro. And I'm like, don't get me wrong, I like McDonald's, but thirty euro isn't a lot if you know what I mean. And they were saying that what's going to happen is if you have a family of four and you're going to get all happy meals and burger meals and all that, you're going to be doing twice the laps. You have to go well, back I around. I understand that. Why? Why? I heard that. But why is the limit? Why is the limit on thirty euros? I think it stops the people's the amount of people going to it or something like that. Mm. But it, that's what they were saying. People are just gonna circle around and get the rest of their food, if you know what I mean. There's a Burger King okay. not too far from no. me and the the drive through line is quite it's quite long. So I'd imagine mm. McDonald's are probably trying to avoid that, you know, the less time you keep cars in the queue, you know, oh, yeah. people you can Please get start. through and stuff. So I haven't read it. I know they're opening on the 20th of March or they're planned to open on yeah, the 20th only, of March. Only five 20th. Stores, though, yeah, I mean, look, it's great they're opening. You know, my niece, who's a college student, she works at McDonald's. She lost her job back in whenever they closed mm -hmm. in March. So she's been unemployed ever since. Like, yeah, she's a student, so it's not too bad for her. Like, you know, she doesn't have a mortgage, but it's still awful when you're kind of left from work and unemployed with nothing to do, really. She went back and work for a long time, you know, and she works inside, um, inside a shopping mall as well. So... Mm -hmm she will be really the last open where it's, you know, food hall type of situation and um, where everybody is and there's lots of other food joints as well. So, you know, that's going to be last, the last on the list to kind of get the okay to go ahead. And uh, if you're working a drive through great. Maybe they'll start kind of moving staff around to kind of rotate them in and out drive through to be a good idea. Okay, and that brings to the end uh, segment one. After this break, we'll come to segment two where we'll speak about the individual mental health and what we have lost in the past, which is affecting us today in this tough time and what we are looking forward to in the future. Would you bring with you into the future if this was a big transition period well my short answer to that is i don't know and um uh, and i suppose i think i'm conscious that i like i'd like to come out of this with a sense of that i have learned something and i have really something's changed in me whether it's a change of direction of life or a change in how i perceive myself or perceive the world around me um, whether that's work or, or just life or what I want to do um, and come out the other end with kind of just a, a clearer sense of what, uh, of what I want to do or something different perhaps. I think I have more time to think about those sort of things and plan those things but it hasn't seemed to be the case that I have. So I think I'm, I'm sore, I am partly reflective but it's not as, it's not as clear yet. So there's, an, there's actually a part of me which is a bit strange to say I wouldn't want it from that perspective I wouldn't want it to end in the next week or the week after because actually I kind of feel this is a space where we are kind of forced a bit to think and be different and there's a small part of me that likes that actually the small part of me is likes or doesn't miss let's say all of the the hecticness of sometimes the other part of my life uh, in normal times 
So there's a little part of me likes that. And then we've no choice but to stay a bit more grounded and a bit more thoughtful. And but at the same time, I'd like that to, I'd like that to form some thoughts, some concrete actions or thoughts for me coming out of this. But to be quite honest, no, I'm not I'm not quite there yet. But that's what I'd like. I ask people this question, you know, what will the new you be, you know, in this whole new life or this new normalcy when it eventually gets to that point. And I'm struggling to see if, if I've missed the boat. You know, apparently feels like I've missed the boat. I haven't made the most of the time that we're in, but knowing there's still a lot of time to go. And then I look at other parts and other days and I'm thinking, well, I've made a podcast. I mean, that's something, right? For me, it's just a huge, like, in terms of thinking, it's a mess. Because at the same time, as I'm trying to optimize my time at home and this time to think and, you know, the less busyness in our lives, I'm still bloody busy. You know, still working my 8 to 4.30 job, whatever it may be. So I don't get to switch off as much as I like to. I think if I did have a week or two off, I would have that, that space to think. Um, and I haven't. And I'm wondering, you know, is it, is it just me who's thinking that? Or are other people who think that, like, Josh, for example, you're, you know, you're saying you were really enjoying this period of time. You know, have you had those moments where you're thinking about yourself? I know you've changed hugely. You've spoke really well about that in, in past podcasts. Do you think you've changed? Do you think you're going to bring that change through to the future? What from the past would you like to take through and what have you left behind if you can use those simple phrases? Well, actually, this morning I woke up and it sounds so weird, but I, because I got the email from work and all that stuff and I was kind of seeing that things were going to start to reopen, I was kind of hoping they wouldn't for another little while so I could still keep going. And I know that sounds really selfish and really weird, but I was just like, oh, I'd love a little bit more time, just a little bit more time. It's like when you're on holidays and you know you're, you're, it's getting to an end and you're just like, well, I just love under a day or two. Um, it's the best way to describe it. But for me, it's so odd because I feel like I found myself in the quarantine, if that makes sense, mm. that I didn't, it's going to sound really cheesy, but going out on a Friday night, meeting people, going on dates, hanging out with friends and all that stuff, I used to rely on other people to make me happy. And I found through, through the quarantine that no one is responsible for my happiness except me. I choose how I get up in the morning and I choose how I feel. And even going for walks and exercising and reading, it really allowed me just to embrace who I was. Um, so that's something that I will be taking with me from all of this whole situation is that being by myself allowed me to find myself. It's kind of like going on that, it's like the movie, Eat, Pray, Love. It was a journey that I used this time for self-discovery. And I'm very blessed that I was in a situation where I could do that, where I didn't have to worry about paying rent or food or anything like that. I know how lucky I am, so that's why I'm ever so grateful for this. So yeah, I think that's the one thing that I'll take when this is all over, is that I'll come out of it knowing who I am more than I did going into it. Do you think, because I'm, I'm trying to wonder what it would be like if we, if we didn't have to work Monday to Friday, you know, how thing, would things be different for me? And I'm trying to get the perspective of others. So, like, let's say if you'd done your nine-to-five job at home, do you think you, w- you would have found that, you know, with that happening no. at the same time? Do you, do you think it's... Absolutely the- not. Why? Because you, we all know ourselves, like, on a Friday when you're finished work, you can switch off and you, you have that time to yourself where I think if you're still working through quarantine, you're still working might be from your sofa or your bedroom or your kitchen table, but you're still working. You still have to do the same routines. You might, if you take an hour lunch, you still have to take your hour lunch. Um, 
where with my situation, which is different to others, is that I was able to switch off completely. Um, I think if I was still working, I would have struggled hugely just to find the motivation um, to get up in the mornings, to, to get dressed, to go to work. Like I, It's weird for me, you, you probably all know, I'm not a person who sits at a desk all day and types and does all that stuff. I'm very a person who I'm just doing my merchandising, I'm using my hands, I'm thinking, I'm being creative. So if I was to work at home, I would have struggled hugely. Um, I think I'd probably be a lot more unhappy. Um, so yeah, I would say if I, was, if I was doing my nine to five, Monday to Friday, I would not be in the situation I'm in now. Um, like, and I, even with my friends who are in the nine to five, who are working from home, have said to me as well, they're like, they miss going to the office now to that point. They miss, they're like, it's, it's very hard to work at home and work from home, if that makes sense. Like, they know that when they work Monday to Friday and they're in the office, that when they leave the office, they're switched off. Where I know a lot of people now are finding the hard to switch off from work because you're get up, it's the first thing you do. You go home, then you're, you can sit on the sofa. You know that you could possibly squeeze in another hour of work if you have nothing else to do. So I know it's, it's harder for people to switch off. And Damien, do you, do you think that those who aren't able to find that space to really think through this type of this time, it could affect them adversely? Um, or do you, do you think people do require that bit of time to even take account of what is happening? Oh, gosh. Again, a complicated question, something which I've looked at. You know, we could look at the risk factors going on in society would lead to huge spikes in mental distress. They would lead to huge spikes in people with suicidal ideation and action planning around suicide. And yet statistically, suicide is not as high as it was this time last year. Um, and I was exploring that today with a colleague. Um, one of the, the things that we wonder is that it's also a time of a lot of care going on in society, isn't there? There's a lot of messages about talking to one another. So we wonder if in some way society is changing and having those conversations uh, which are keeping people alive. I know um, for myself, I've benefited from it. So something I've really appreciated is this podcast whereby I've been able to, to consider some issues and it more or less helps me process some of the issues which are going on in society and I can articulate it here. Um, and I enjoy that. So that's been something I would like to take forward. So I think there is a lot of care and support in society and lots of opportunities to talk. A friend of mine is a teacher and she was phoning home, her phoning home to families who she hadn't seen the other day. And she said um, she inadvertently rang the wrong number. And this woman said, oh, I haven't spoken to anyone for two days, love. And my friend had this like conversation with her for two hours and really engaged in chat. Ordinarily, that would not happen. So I think there is care and support going on for people, which I think, as I said, keeping people alive. What will come after this, I don't know. Conversely, though, I also know it is a time of introspection uh, because people have got more time on the hands. I wonder what issues are coming up. You talk about baggage, but I wonder what issues, unresolved issues are coming up from their past. 
and really affecting them. So I think that will be going on for some people. I wonder what the other side of this will be like. So, you know, I think I mentioned about young people who've been bullied in school or being so anxious about exam pressure. Those two factors won't be going on for them. So bullying within a school-based environment or exam pressure. So for some, anxiety has decreased. For others, it has gone up because they've not got the same connections. They haven't got the relationships there. So there's a whole level of complexity there. The other side of this, if people go back to what was normal, will people start to feel alienated? Is that when we will see a lot of those problems within mental health? Because people won't be able to have the opportunity to talk it through. Is that when we, we potentially could see some suicide? You know, these are some of the factors, I think, going on. One of the things that I just committed to do uh, with a colleague of mine today is that we we're going to put training on through Zoom for professionals around um, suicide awareness in children and young people. So working with the workforce to how to have those conversations, are you feeling suicidal? And to um, become more confident in having those conversations. So that's something I will be putting on uh, through Zoom. So it's a new way of being for me. Um, and it's a good way about reaching to large numbers of people. Equally, I'm also concerned about this time for some people, because I do feel that there will be people who will be incredibly stressed and anxious by this time for fear and uncertainty. There's so much change in people's lives. Again, change is a catalyst for mental distress. There will be people who we know will be impacted by what we call the toxic trio. The toxic trio being domestic violence, mental health problems, and substance use, which also includes alcohol. So those th three things will be going on within, within homes across our nations that will have huge mental health impacts upon people. That's why I think it's a hell of a complex question about the impact upon mental health. Pat, if I, if I can come to you, how do you think people are dealing with, not so much events from the past, but even their own past, and how they're dealing with that today, and anniversaries of, of either passings, birthdays, anniversaries of weddings? Um, have you come across people any difficulties throughout that time? My cousin's son uh, committed suicide a number of years ago. She lives in Canada. And I was talking to her during the week. I was talking to her on Sunday. It would have been his birthday last week. And she was finding it much tougher this year on the anniversary, uh, on his birthday, than she previously had simply because of, you know, lockdown. Because, you know, it was more difficult for her to distract herself and, uh, and maybe do other things. So, so for her, it was a much more difficult time. Uh, not that every year is difficult, but I think lockdown made it uh, a lot more difficult for her this year. Um, so she was trying to deal with that. Yeah, I think in, in terms of, for myself, I was thinking about this, that, um, you know, I've been so focused on this ending. Kept thinking now, in a few weeks' time, we can do this. In a few weeks' time, then we'll be allowed to do this, etc. And, and I'm really going back to the fact that I have to live in the now and I have to, you know, uh, ju just live with, with the circumstances I'm in now and not be constantly thinking of, well, once I get, once I get over this, because that, in a sense, is wasting this time. So I'm, I'm trying to avoid trying to just focus on 
there is an end to this and when it's over things because things won't be back to normal as well i mean there will be a societal change after this certainly until uh, you know a, a, a vaccine is found and even then society may well have changed irreparably like 9-11 changed society this will change society as well so it's going to be a new normal what i want to bring into that i think maybe uh, and my hope is that maybe as, as this forum has helped us to get to know each other better and really get to see the depths of each of our personalities and, and the way we think and and the people that we are i'm hoping that that will be reflected in my broader relationships and that more people will be open to um you know communicating at a deeper level after this it's, it's interesting when you look when you look at all those topics that we spoke about it always comes down to like things like space you know our conversation area is about the workspace and that being a safe and clean environment the conversation about reflection and having time to look at oneself you know that comes down to space and time as well um and then thought we're going forward again is space so it is interesting to talk about like within the right environment in the right space you know a lot can happen and what you're talking about is the depth of people is that can only be that can only be seen within you know a safe environment or a safe space where people can feel that they can express themselves and we have to some respect offered that space here on this podcast between ourselves which is what i really enjoy and i'm happy that we have that that here um, and i do hope like you just said that we can take that and offer that space to other people especially when we're face to face or in the same room that people can feel that they can you know to a degree offer their own in-depth feelings or whatever they want to talk about without having to feel they need to prop up a certain image of themselves to not look too emotional or to you know not look or to not be vulnerable even with people they don't know because i i do feel you know like like damon said earlier about the phone call to an anonymous number by mistake you know, it turned out to be a nice phone call. And I think, you know, we all had those phone calls every day. You know, wouldn't it just be wonderful for everybody? 